The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Well, good morning again, and uh, good to be with you. We are studying the book of James this fall, so if you have a Bible today, you can turn to James chapter 3, verse 13. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, the verses will be on the screen. You can follow along. There's an outline in your bulletin that you can follow along with as well. So as you're turning there, I just want to highlight our speaker next week uh, is a man named Ying Kai. Um, he is from China. He has been ministering in Asia for many years, and his gift is uh, letting uh, other people, helping other people understand the gospel. And humanly speaking, there have been thousands of people that have met Jesus through this man. And so sometimes when you hear that, maybe your image is of like a Billy Graham who fills stadiums and proclaims the message of Jesus and many people respond and God uses that style for sure. But um, Yen Kai's been living in a part of the world where that doesn't, you don't do that. You can't gather in large groups. So his method has been to equip people to be able to share their faith, just like you heard the story there, a student to a student helping a friend meet Jesus. That's his strength and that's his passion. So he'll be speaking with us in the morning next week. I'm excited for us to hear from uh, such a godly man that God has been using in another part of the world. But what I want you to also highlight is next Sunday night, he's going to walk our church through the training that he walks people through all over the planet. Like how exciting would it be for you and for me to get equipped and, and have the confidence that we could help somebody. Wouldn't it be sweet if everybody in this room got to help somebody find Jesus like this next year? So, so I really encourage you, obviously, be here Sunday morning and hear him, but if you can come back Sunday night next week, you'll be part of that, that training. That would be awesome. So, so we're in the book of James, and um, if you've been following with us, the book of James is, some people call it the New Testament book of uh, Proverbs. Because can, James can hop from subject to subject and topic to topic pretty quickly. And um, it's definitely a book of action. There's about 118 verses in the book. About 59 of those are commands. Okay, so James is a let's get on it kind of guy. In fact, you're going to see this morning, James isn't afraid to square up with us and just kind of tell it like it is. I think I said this a few weeks ago that if James was your friend and you knew he was coming to your house, there'd probably be a part of your heart that maybe initially would sink. Like, oh no, like what's he gonna say today? But the kind of guy that when he leaves, you're gonna be so glad that he came because he, he identified something in you that needed to come out and you're doing well, way better than before he got there, all right? So um, this passage this morning too, um, what's the... Um, What's the K-Love model? There's a Christian music station, that, something in positive, like something about positive something. Like sometimes even in America, when we approach the Bible, we're just ready for something positive. Give me, a, give me an upper today that I can just read this and just skip through my day. Um, this passage isn't all upper, okay? Again, it's coming, again, it's gonna come from the heart of a man that loved the people he's writing to, but he's not afraid to just kind of confront them on some things. So, you don't have to head for the exit yet, but I'm just trying to brace you for what's coming today. But actually, what James is doing today is he's going to start landing on a theme. Sometimes in a book like James, where it scatters from topic to topic, you can say, what's his theme here? What's his big push? And I think what's going to start coming loud and clear, especially in today's passage, is I think what is on James's heart for these people and what's on God's heart for us is the same thing was on Jesus' heart when he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, 
that you also love one another. By this, all will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So if you've been with us, James is writing to a group of Christians who have been displaced from their homes. They're on the run. They're under persecution. And so they're settling in other countries and they're trying to settle in, restart their lives and do church together. But things that James is hearing from these different movements and churches is kind of breaking his heart. And we've seen glimpses of it that there's times where these Christians are playing favorites. They're preferring the rich over the poor. Or we saw in James chapter two that they're overlooking clear needs in their body. When somebody's in need, they'll just walk right by them. Or last week we talked about how they were misusing their speech. They were slandering each other. They were cutting each other down. Today, James is gonna admit or address quarrels and fighting among them. And it's just making his heart sink because James's heart is where Jesus' heart is, is that God's people need to be united. They need to be living in love and, and care for each other. You would think especially a group of Christians on the run, a group of refugees, you are going through one of the hardest times in your life. You need a refuge. You need a place where there's gonna be love, there's gonna be peace, there's gonna be understanding. And that's the same thing that God desires for us, that our friendships our families, our marriages, our community groups, and this church could all be oases of, of love and peace because uh, life gets tough and life gets hard. And that's, that's James's desire. That's Jesus' desire. And so just like when you hear of friends of yours that have been married for many years and you hear now that they are separated, it just, your heart just sinks or when you hear stories of business partners that for years were best of friends and running a company together, but yet something's come between them and now they've parted ways. There's a part of you that sinks. Anytime you hear of a lasting, a long friendship that now th the people are not even talking to each other. Or we know how our heart just is restless even as we go through maybe this coming week and we run into people that it's not going the greatest with right now, or there's, we're at odds with them, or there's tension, there's eggshells all over the room. Those are the kind of things that James is gonna address for us today. So what I'm gonna ask you to do is if you could stand, I'm gonna read our passage today. Just read it in its entirety. So let's stand to give God's word the attention and the honor it deserves. Then we'll pray, then we'll jump into this. this um, I think it's a great passage. So let, let me read it to us here. James 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And then chapter four, verse one, which by the way, this break wasn't in James's letter. There was no chapter verse. This thought continues. So James four, one, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. 
You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or, you do, or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves, therefore, before the Lord and he will exalt you. Could I ask you to pray that God would show you something from his word this morning that he wants to teach you? So could you just ask God right now to teach you something from his word this morning? And would you please pray for me that I would teach clearly, that I would teach boldly, and that God's word would lead us and teach us this morning. Lord, we need you, and we do ask humbly that you would speak to each one of us and teach us the truth we need that we can apply to our lives even this week. In your great name we pray, amen. All right, you guys can grab a seat. Thank you for doing that. All right, so um, there's a lot in this passage, as you just saw, and as I was wrestling in many different ways of how to present this, this is the way that I think we're going to land it. We're going to look at two kinds of wisdom that I think this passage is addressing. There's a false wisdom that divides us in our relationships. There's a true wisdom that's going to unite us in our relationships. So there's an earthly wisdom, and there's a wisdom that is from above. And I want to picture it like this. Picture two apple trees before us up here on the stand. And so let's say this apple tree has very small, shriveled, brown, nasty looking apples, okay? Like the ones in my backyard, okay? So that's that tree. This tree is complete opposite. Like it's healthy tree, it's got beautiful apples on it and you just look at that and you go, man, it's awesome, okay? So, so these are our two trees. When we're addressing the bad tree, we could, we could do a couple things. One is, we could go to Fairway and just pick out about two dozen really nice looking apples and then come home and po- pick off all the, all the nasty ones and then get some duct tape and just tape nice apples to this tree, right? And go, look at my awesome apple tree, right? And so that would last for what, three days or so. Then next season, the same old nasty little brown apples are gonna come up, right? So unless we do something with this tree, unless we address what's going on with the roots and what's going on in the soil, under this tree. And so I feel like what James is doing is he's doing that, th- that very thing in this passage, is that he's identifying some fruit, some bad fruit and some good fruit, but he's going deeper than that. He's going to help us see, well, what are the roots that are feeding into this bad fruit? And then even bottom line, I'm going to call the wisdom, the earthly wisdom and the wisdom from above, that what is the soil that's feeding these roots, that's producing this fruit. So James is going to dig in some pretty deep places here for us. So let's start with this bad tree with the bad fruit. And again, he's mentioned things like there's fighting, there's quarrels, there's disorder, there's slander. And so that's the fruit. 
And so we ask, well, where's that coming from? And in James 3.16, he says this, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. In fact, we're going to see there's at least four roots. We're going to talk about four roots that James identifies that could be in our lives that are producing bad fruit in our relationships with each other. And he mentions two there in James 3.16, jealousy and selfish ambition. All right, there's two, and we're going to see a couple more. But let's start with those two. Those seem to be the main ones. In James 4, 1 and 2, he said, What causes quarrels, what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So two we're going to identify right away. First of all, are jealousy or envy. And then the second one is selfish ambition. And those two put together are a powerful negatively powerful one-two punch in our relationships. So let's talk about envy. Sometimes envy just kind of gets a pass. Like when we think about the big sins or the, the, the you know, glaring sins in people's lives, envy somehow just isn't, doesn't hit our radar as a big one. But James puts it square up at the front that, that where there is envy, you're going to have disorder in every vile practice. James puts envy right up towards the top. And it's really profound when you think about it. Envy is basically wanting somebody else's life. It's not being content with my life. There's something missing from me that I see in you, and I'm not happy about that. Okay, and so I think envy is a battle, is a sin that we especially, I think it's global, but I think we especially face it in the United States. Because we pay multiple millions of dollars to some of our most creative minds in the advertising industry to make us envy that my car isn't good enough, that my body isn't good enough, so I need this product, or I I need to look like this. And so there's just built into the fabric of our society that things aren't fair, that my life isn't as good as it could be or as good as it should be. And so what Jesus really longs for us is that he wants us to love our God with our heart, soul, and mind, and then love our neighbors as ourselves. But envy goes the complete opposite direction. There isn't a love for God. In fact, what there is toward God is a kind of a fist. God, you're ripping me off. How come my life isn't as good as their life? So there's no love for God. And then there's no love for other people. There's a competition. There's a comparison with other people. C.S. Lewis put it this way, that envy is this. It's It's asking ourselves, am I better or less than the guy who's sitting next to me? That if envy is just kind of ruling the day, when we sit down next to somebody, it's not immediately our impulse to to encourage them or to serve them or to love them, but it's to size them up. Like, are they they better or worse off than me? Should I envy them or or not? And what's what's especially um, devious about envy is that it just kills our joy. You, you can never be content with what you have. My house isn't big enough. My car isn't new enough. I don't look as good as he or she, or I'm not as smart as. And so it just, you cannot enjoy what you have because you're constantly focusing on what you think you don't have and what you think you don't, you know, that you really need, but you don't have it. And so, in fact, I would, I would toss this out there. If there's people in your life that you just naturally are not connecting with, uh, ask yourself, are you envious of them? Is there something about them that you think, you know, maybe you've been going through hard times and they haven't been. Maybe um, at work, you've been working your tail off and you're not getting recognized, but other people are. Other people are getting promoted. Other people's papers are getting published. 
and there you are. Like, so look and see, is envy really playing a, a role in maybe some of the strife or tension that you see um, with people in your life? So, so James identifies the root of envy. He throws in there as well selfish ambition, that we're living by our agenda, that um, you know, it's, it's what's best for me, not what's best for other people. Uh, the third one he identifies is in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, where he says this, you do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So what James is identifying here is that there's no prayer. There's no powerful prayer in the lives. That's going to feed, that's going to be more roots feeding this bad fruit. If we're not trusting God, if we don't think God's being good to us, we're not going to pray to him. We're not going to thank him. We're not going to praise him. Uh, And when we do pray, it's going to be just asking for something that we want to invest in ourselves, something we are looking to satisfy our passions. And so um, we get greedy. And so where God really created us to love people and then use our things to serve and help people, what happens with this mindset is that greed causes us to love things and then to use people. We look at people about how can I leverage them to help me get more and more of what I want. So there's selfish ambition, there's powerless prayer. And the last thing that James put his finger on is in James 4.4. He says, you adulterous people. Like that, again, James is being James. He's squaring up with them. Up until then, he's called them brothers. He's used affectionate tone, a very affectionate tone. But here he just says, you adulterous people. It gets their attention with that strong concept from the Old Testament that God would, would call his people out for committing adultery on him that they have rejected him. He is their lover. He's the one that has done so much for them. But when they worshiped other gods, he called them out for committing adultery. James is doing the same thing. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy with God. So the word friend that James is using there, I think in... Most uses, in, uh, when we use the word friendship, ours is a little more on the surface than James. James is here referring to a very intimate, a very close relationship that instead of being intimate and very close with God, instead of being a friend with God, that we're choosing to be a friend with this world and with the values of this world. And we are committing, in a sense, we're committing adultery on God. We're turning our back from him. We're distant from God. And so when there's a distance between us and God, there's going to be a distance between us and the people in our lives. So James is identifying those four roots that are feeding uh, the conflict. And so then you ask, well, where is this coming from? What's feeding these roots? And it's going to be this earthly wisdom. That's the bad soil for this tree right here. And we see that in James 3.15, where he says, uh, when he's referring to uh, verse 15, he says, this is not the wisdom that comes from above, but it's earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. Again, he's not pulling punches. He's saying, your wisdom is demonic, okay? Verse 16, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So the way we're living, when, when there's, our relationships are flying apart, when there's discord, when people are living that way, the, the, the soil under that, the soil feeding those roots, is going to be this earthly wisdom, this bad soil. Again, he describes it as earthly. It means this is the way the world rolls, that the world doesn't think about others. The world just thinks about ourselves. Do what's best for you. Put yourself first. Um, Go after whatever you need and use the people around you to meet your needs. That's earthly thinking. He describes it as unspiritual. 
that means it is just totally natural. It will have no supernatural component to it. It's just the way of the world. It's the way that we roll as human beings. So it's unspiritual. And then the strongest word he uses is that it's demonic. It's literally from the pit of hell. And if you want to do a study on the way that Satan tempts us, the way Satan divides us from God and from other people, look at Genesis chapter 3. That was the very first temptation, the very first sin of Adam and Eve, the first man and woman that had the amazing setup of being in the perfect world. There was no sin. There was no death. There was no sickness. And they had a a relationship with God. They walked with God. And imagine a relationship with um, your spouse where there was no sin, no selfishness. They had the most amazing setup. And it was into that scenario that Satan tempted them. And I think what he used was this, this temptation of envy. That out of all this perfect setup, God just had one rule. Do not, do not you know, eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan took that one command and twisted it. And he caused them to doubt God. He said, you know, why is God saying that? God's holding out on you. God doesn't love you. God doesn't want the best for you. And so implied in that, it's like, you can't trust God. You need to just do what you think. You need to just do what you want to do to satisfy yourself. Maybe to get a picture for how absolutely corrupt that was, how evil that was. Imagine, my kids are a little older now. They're all in high school or junior high. But imagine when my kids were younger. Let's say they're like four or three. And imagine that somebody were to come to them day after day and say to them, your dad doesn't love you. You, you can't trust him. He's, he's a bad man. He, he doesn't really care for you. He's not going to meet your needs. And day after day, that was their message. How, how evil would that be? That's exactly what, what the enemy, that's exactly what Satan did um, to God's children until eventually that they, they believed him and they sinned. They committed that sin uh, against, against God. And so that's the soil that's pr- promoting these these bad and these fractured relationships. So the wisdom of the world now is going to measure everything by how it affects me, what's best for me, how can I advance myself, how can I promote myself. And that's going to be the core of conflict in every one of our relationships when we put ourselves first, when we've shut God out, when we don't love God. God would love us to love him and serve people. But when we flip that around, when we love ourselves, we're just going to use people. And so that's, that's this tree, and that's the source of our conflicts. And, and there's a danger here, because if we, if we are living in this soil, we're going to be very proud. And so we're going to think we're doing fine. Like, that's what's especially deceptive about this side. We're going to just kind of look around and even maybe part of this envy game. Well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy or that guy. Like, we're going to think we're rolling fine. And it's going to take us, you know, maybe that's why James was so blunt. Maybe that's why at times God's word, God's word needs to just, needs to stick it to us right between the eyes. That's why when we prayed before this sermon, that really should be something we do every time we open God's word. God, speak to me. I could be blinded to some things here. And so, but especially if we're living in pride, we're going to be the last ones to know it. Um, C.S. Lewis describes pride as the core of every sin and that it's very undetectable in our own lives. You can detect pride in other people. Like if somebody walks in the room and they start bragging and getting all the attention, 
um, you go, oh, that guy's proud. And so, in fact, C.S. Lewis says, the quicker you spot pride in somebody else, it means that it's going on in your heart, okay? Because it's you that really should be getting all the attention that she's getting or that he's getting. And so, it's incredibly deceptive. That's why we need the Word of God to expose to us when we're living by earthly wisdom. So, so then James presents this other tree with this good fruit, and we're going to see that the source of this fruit is going to be true wisdom that unites. And you look at James three seventeen and 18, and he says this, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure and then peaceable and gentle and open to reason and full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You know, this, this is what we need. This is what James was longing for, for these people, especially in the midst of their hardships. Could they please be in a place where there's peace and where they're gentle with each other? They're open to reason. They're full of mercy. They're impartial. They're sincere. Again, that, wouldn't that be what we're longing for in our marriages, in our friendships, in our families, in our community groups? That is going to come from the wisdom that is from above. This is what God wants to do, and this is how God wants to work in our relationships. And the key to this is going to be in uh, James, again, is a, is a book of action, 59 commands, 118 verses. Um, there's a posture here that's going to be key for this kind of soil to be true of our lives and to feed the roots so that we can produce this kind of fruit in our relationships. And in James 3.13, he identifies it. He says, who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The posture we need to be in is this whole concept of being meek in wisdom was radical in James's day. You did not, you know, the, the value of being meek or humble was not at all celebrated in his day and maybe not in our day. It is completely in contrast to this soil, the soil of earthly soil that that you got to be your own man. you got to figure this out. It's all about you. And so to go over here and say the place to start producing good fruit is that you have to be meek before God. You have to be humble before God and then receive uh, the wisdom that he is going to give you. So it, it reflects what he said earlier in his book in James 1.5 where he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously and without reproach. God doesn't roll his eyes when we ask for wisdom, but he loves to give it to us. But the key is we've got to be humble and we've got to ask him to lead us and to teach us. And so that's, that's the start of true wisdom. So let's talk a little bit more. I'm going to flip the order a little bit. Let's start with the soil that's part of this tree. Then let's talk about the roots that feed into it. And then let's celebrate again the fruits that come. So this soil, this source of wisdom that is from above is going to be a gracious God who draws near to his people and gives generously the wisdom that we need. So look at James 4, 5. This is right after James said those very hard words that they'd been committing adultery with God. He says this in verse 5. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So the way that God has responded to us wandering from him and seeking other loves over him 
is that he still yearns for us. Maybe you've heard this phrase before, that God is jealous for his people. And we need to clarify a little bit. Sometimes when you hear that somebody's jealous, it means they're insecure. God is not insecure, okay? God doesn't need us to feel good about himself, okay? He's, he's pretty good at being God and he feels pretty good about that, all right? But when it says that God is jealous for us, it means that he's jealous for our affections. His love for us is so strong that he knows that if our number one love isn't him, that's not gonna be good for us. It's gonna lead to hurt in our lives, it's gonna lead to disappointment, and it's gonna lead to all these fractured relationships. God is jealous to be number one for us, not for his good, but for our good. And so he's going to pursue us even when we are walking away. He's a God is tenacious in his love and his grace for us. And so the soil we, we put our roots in on this side, the wisdom that is from above, starts with the fact that we have a gracious God who pursues us even when we sin against him, rebel against him. He moves toward us. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so when we humbly ask him for his grace and his wisdom, he is right there with us. And so there are several commands that James just springs out of that thought. And they go boom, 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 boom. We're going to hit four here. First of all, he says, in response to this, in response to this gracious God who is moving towards you, he says, submit to God. So let him lead. Let him be in charge. Let him call the shots in your life. He loves you. He's pursuing you. He's gracious to you. Um, we've been talking about marriage in the fight club, the men's group that I'm in on Tuesdays. And we've talked about as men, uh, what would actually, we're in a series where we, we surveyed over 40 wives and asked them, what should husbands stop doing, start doing, and keep doing? Okay, so it's been interesting. We've just been taking the data and running right after it. Um, but we've been asking ourselves this question, what kind of man would a family want to see come home at the end of the day? A man who is running his own show, who's in charge and is doing what he wants? Or would you want a man coming into that family who's been very humble, who's submitting to God and is doing what God is calling him to do? That's a, that's, that's a no-brainer. Like, that's a true-false, hmm, let me think about that one. But to get ourselves into that position really starts with submitting ourselves to God. I am not in charge I am not my own. <laughs> I belong to him, and I need to follow God. I need to surrender my will to his, my life to the life that he's calling me to live. So it starts with, with submission. Second, there's a, James would challenge us to hunger for God, to pursue God. He phrases it this way, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Again, James is a man of action, and he would say, soak up this soil and the grace of God and then pursue him. Like, go hard after him. Don't just kind of casually float through this week. Oh, yeah, God's a part of my life. Like, you don't, <laughs> I couldn't even hear James saying that, right? He's saying, like, resist the devil. So if you're being tempted, say no. Get out of that. Unplug the computer, whatever it is. Get away from that conversation. Uh, kill those, stop those thoughts in your mind. Like, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Then he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. There's a, there's a passion, there's a pursuit that James is spurring us on to. We could be intimate. God longs for us to be intimate with the creator of this universe. Staggering. 
as powerful he is and great as he is, as good as he is, he longs for us to be close to him. So we resist the devil. We, we flee from the devil and we draw near to God. So there's an action there. Because God is so gracious, pursue him. Because he's got great wisdom that he would love to produce great fruit in your lives, pursue him. Get after him. Okay? And then verse and the third, um, the third one here, the third root, is this whole root of repentance. And again, this is going to sound blunt. This is James. Cleanse your hand, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn. I don't see many precious moments posters with verse 9. Be wretched and mourn and weep. The kids with the big eyes. You know, you don't see that. But James, man, he's, he's on a roll here, okay? He is so passionate about us being intimate with God. He's saying, you cannot be intimate with God and be casual about sin. Be wretched, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. Let your joy to gloom. Came across a proverb this week that really helped me with this verse. Proverbs 10.23 says that doing wrong is like a joke to a fool. James is saying, no, no, no. You don't play with sin. You don't be casual about sin and be intimate with God. See, being intimate with your creator is so amazing and staggering that we get serious about sin in our lives. And we got to ask the question, like, when is the last time you just, you literally mourned and wept over your own sin? Not because you got caught or not because you are walking through the consequences of some stupid choices, but you just literally mourned because you realize what you're losing out on that you can't dabble with sin and be intimate with God. And so what James is calling us there to is authentic repentance and an authentic hatred of sin that would just draw us even more and more, that we get more tenacious to be intimate with God. He's trying to light a fire under us to, to be serious about repentance. And then he ends in verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. It's so contrasting to this side of the agenda is I've got to exalt myself. I've got to find my own way. I've got to be my own man. I've got to, over here, it's like, no, no, no. You just humble yourselves before the gracious, almighty, all-wise God that loves you and wants you to be intimate with him. You humble yourself here, and then you let him lift you up. You let him empower you. You let him fulfill you. You let him satisfy you. And then in that posture, you are totally free not to use other people. You're being lifted up by God. He's meeting your needs. That frees you to not use other people, manipulate other people, but to love other people, to serve other people, to forgive other people. That, that, that's where, that's what, what these roots produce, the fruit in our lives, but it's all grounded in the grace, the grace of God. And so the good fruit, again, the picture that James paints for us, wisdom from above, is pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason and full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So I think um, what God's trying to get our attention about this morning is, is to really take an honest look at our relationships. And uh, maybe we've been guilty of we go to different parts of our lives and go, man, they were in a bad mood today. Oh, I can't believe how tense that room was today. And then you go over here. It's like, man, nobody's getting along here. It's like, 
maybe it's time to start adding up the common denominator. Okay, it's when I'm here, things are kind of tense. And then I go over here and there's eggshells on the floor. And then I go over here and everybody's a jerk. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe this is me. Maybe it's me bringing this strife and this conflict. Maybe it's me living in this soil instead of this soil here. And so um, what's on God's heart for us is that our relationships would be places of peace because we need that. This is not an easy life to live. But what God longs for for his people is that when we gather, um, there's unity and there's love. That when we go to community group, there's, there's unity and there's love and there's freedom to share and, and freedom to cry with each other and freedom to celebrate with each other because we love each other. We're not competing with each other. And what that does to this world is it makes this world perk up and go, where, where are you guys getting that? Where are you guys getting marriages like that? Where are you guys getting families like that? What's the deal with your community group? Why does everybody love each other? It is so linked to our mission that the way we love each other is going to reflect the God that we serve. And it's going to have a direct influence on how well we do at getting the gospel out. So let me, yeah, we've got a couple minutes. Let me just wrap with a couple principles. Let me point you to a book as well. In the Resource Center, we've got Ken, there's a guy, an author named Ken Sandy, S-A-N-D-E, that for years has been uh, my go-to author for just how do you deal with conflict? How do you resolve conflict? And what I like is a new edition that's come out. Check that out. Look how thin that is. Like, it's kind of the best of con- consolidated here, and it's very affordable. I would, I would highly recommend this book. Let me close by just giving three points here that come from this. That, that because, because we can live out of a wisdom that is on this side, the wisdom that's from above, from the heart of a very gracious God, here's three things about our conflicts and our relationships. Because conflict is inevitable, okay? Don't feel like good Christian means you never have conflicts. You're gonna, in my premarital counseling, we use this equation, conflict plus resolution equals intimacy. That conflict is the constant in that equation. You take a sinful man and woman and put them together to live an intimate, one flesh relationship, there is going to be conflict, okay? So walking with God doesn't mean you're conflict-free, but you know how to resolve that conflict. And here are three very important practical ramifications of the grace of God in our lives. Number one is this, is that you can love those that you're in conflict with. You can love your enemies even. Because Jesus died to reconcile us when we were his enemy, we can imitate him by showing the same kind of undeserved compassion in sacrificial love. Imagine if that was our tone whenever there's a conflict, that we can still move towards somebody in love, even if they've hurt us. Because that's what Jesus has done for us through the gospel and through the cross. Here's the second one, is that you can take the initiative in resolving conflict You were still a sinner when Jesus died for you. So now you can make the first move to seek reconciliation with anybody who offends you or who has something against you. God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And I hope you know that gospel that this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ, the Bible says you are in sin. You've offended a holy God. You're doing your thing and not his thing. But in spite of that, God moved towards you in love and offered you Jesus Christ, offered to forgive your sins and give you eternal life. And so if that's the gospel you've received, that's the gospel you can share. You can take the initiative uh, to, to find peace in your relationships when there's conflict. And the third one is this, because of the reality of the gospel, we can admit our own faults 
in our own sins. Jesus has already seen my sins in their full detail. Jesus has already taken my sins on himself and has forgiven my sins. I don't have to hide them. I don't have to excuse them. So I can be honest about my fault and my sins. So when I enter a conflict, my focus is not going to be on their sin, but my focus can be on my sin. What did I do to contribute to this? And it's the grace of God that frees us to do that. If God has forgiven me, that frees me to move into that conflict with much more humility um, than if I was living in the other soil. And so what I want to do, and I'm, I'm sure this has been happening, as we've been talking, maybe there's been a person or a group of people that just keeps coming to mind Um, I just want to give you a minute or so here just to close our time in prayer. And if there are some conflicts in your life, if there's some points of tension, that this is the time to just lay it before God and ask him to, to, to work in your life so that you can be the peacemaker, so that you can initiate resolving that conflict. So, or maybe there was something else God was saying to you this morning. Let me just give you a minute to, to just talk with God and, um, deal with whatever it is he's been putting on your heart this morning. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how relevant it was over 2,000 years ago for James and his audience and how relevant it is for, for me today, this week. And I thank you so much for just such a stark contrast. You're warning us of living the way this world lives, the way we naturally go. And you're inviting us to live in this good soil of your grace. And we thank you for the gospel. Thank you for moving toward us. Thank you for forgiving us. And I pray that we truly would be able to love one another as you have loved us. So please do a work in our marriages, in our families, in our community groups, and throughout this church. And God, may we be known for our love for one another. May we truly contend as one for the gospel. In your great name we pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.